Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons, today, January 14th, 2024. We continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Look Into the Light, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. Enjoy. Intimacy with the Lord. What does that mean and what does that look like? I think when we think intimacy, we may uh, think Maybe not what the Bible refers to. When we think intimacy, I think our mind tends to go to sex, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a very, very close-knit relationship where we're fully known and where we can fully know someone else as well. So you could have maritimal, I did it again, maritimal. That's not a word. I did the same thing first hour. Marital intimacy, where you can fully know your spouse and your spouse is fully known by you. You can have a relational intimacy with a friend, a deep, close relationship where you let people in to really know you and know your heart and other people let you in so you can really know them and really know their heart. We've been talking about what does it look like for us to have this kind of relationship with God where we're fully known and we seek to fully know him as well. If you rewind two weeks ago, we looked at the story at the end of Luke chapter 10. These two sisters have Jesus in their home, and Martha is busy serving, doing many good things. Someone's got to cook the meal. Someone's got to clean. Someone's got to be hospitable. And Mary is at the feet of Jesus, just hanging on every single word, seeking relationship with him. And Jesus says, Martha, you're so busy with many good things, but she has done a good thing. She's chosen the better thing. She's choosing intimacy with God. The next week, just this last week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer and how praying often and having an each day kind of prayer life, how we praise the Lord and how we repent and confess and we bring our asks before him and ultimately yield and pray a prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, how that prayer leads to intimacy with the Lord. So two weeks ago, Pastor Ed taught us this spiritual equation, if you will, and I'll reiterate it and affirm it again this morning. Time in God's word, that's intimacy, that's like Mary hanging on to every word of Jesus. Time in God's word plus time in prayer will lead to spiritual intimacy with God. That's what we looked at the last two weeks and we continue that discussion this morning. So as long as I pray in the morning and read my Bible in the morning, check those boxes, then certainly I'll have intimacy with God throughout the rest of the day, right? Well, that's a great way to start. But what we look at today is intimacy with the Lord also comes from frequently just looking to Jesus and seeking his guidance and seeking his light and his will for our life. So that's where we're gonna go today. In Luke chapter 11, we are looking at a very long story. A very long story. And in this story, we see Jesus perform a miracle. He casts out a demon. At first, people marvel. Wow, that's amazing. This guy's got some power and can kick demons out of people. That's pretty sweet. But then immediately, it's met with resistance. Some accuse him. They say, you do this by the power of the devil, don't you? Other people say, hey, really cool. Can you do another sign? Can you do more tricks? What else do you have for us? And then the rest of the passage is really dealing with these accusers and dealing with these sign seekers. The reason we're looking at the whole text this morning is so we can see the whole story and the principles that are being fleshed out within it instead of zooming in and just seeing the micro details. If we do that, we really miss the forest from the trees, if I'm saying that right, on this one. So we're gonna zoom out, see the whole story, and see just how Jesus deals with these accusers and sign seekers this morning in Luke chapter 11. I'm gonna pray for us once more. Just ask for the Lord's help, and then we can dive in together. God, we do come before you. 
uh, with the spirit of humility. God, we are humbled knowing who it is that we speak to, who it is that we pray to, the God of the universe, the God who's sovereign over all things, the one who created all things, sustain all things, the one giving us breath in our lungs even now. God, we are humbled by you. And at the same time, God, we come to you with the spirit of gratitude, knowing that you've called us your children, that all who call upon the Lord can be saved, that you've given us the right if we believe, if we receive, that we can become your child. So God, we are grateful that we are children of God most high this morning. Father, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you'd open our eyes, that we'd see you clearly. You'd open our ears, that we'd hear you, our minds to know you, our hearts to love you, and our mouths to get out into the world and speak of how great Jesus is. Jesus, everything we do is for your glory and your glory alone. It's in your name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 11, like I said, we are covering a lot of ground this morning. We're gonna pick up in verse 14. Um, If you're new to the Bible, there should be a Bible in a seat back around you. I think it's on page 1033 or somewhere around there. You can follow along there. Four points we're gonna see initially just to guide our time through the story and then we'll circle back around towards the end and see how we can apply this text to our life. Beginning in verse verse 14, we really see the setup to this whole story. What's going on? Well, we see um, a demon kicked out, a demon cast out. We see these accusers and we see these sign seekers. That's really the foundation that sets up the entire story in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Seems like an appropriate response. When God does miraculous things, you should marvel. Not awe like a baby, but awe, wow. Now that's an appropriate response, but it's not a response enough. We don't come into relationship with the Lord because we marvel at him. It's by grace through faith we're saved. It's by grace through faith we become children of God. See, people all over the world look at God's creation and affirm there must be something bigger going on out there, and they marvel. It's an appropriate response, but it's a response that falls short. That's what we see from both of these audience that respond, the accusers and the sign seekers. But some of them, even though they marvel, they said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. That's a reference to the devil, the reference to Satan. While others, to test him, kept seeking a sign from heaven. You see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus does a miracle, and people come back because they want Jesus' stuff, not necessarily Jesus himself. Recall the story of Jesus feeding uh, thousands of people with a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. Well, a couple days later, people come back and say, can you do that thing again? We're hungry. Like, you're great and all. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. It's a response that falls short. So the rest of the time is Jesus dealing with these two audiences, these two opposers to him. The first group are these accusers saying, you do this by the power of the devil. The second group being these sign seekers who just want Jesus to do more tricks, if you will. So in verse 17, here's what he addresses. He addresses these accusers. The next three passages we're gonna look at together, they really flesh out um, a principle of truth. Here's the first truth that we see from this. It's the power of God overcomes the power of the devil. The power of God overcomes the power of Satan. The power of God overcomes the power of the devil. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of good overcomes the kingdom of evil. 
the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of darkness. Here's how Jesus begins to flesh that out. Verse 17, but he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he says to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Jesus is essentially saying, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. We have two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of God. They are waging war against each other. And you are saying that I've borrowed from the power of the devil to defeat the devil's kingdom. That's what you're saying, right? That makes no sense. Jesus just tells them your logic and your reasoning is totally flawed. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, if I cast out demons by the power of Satan, by the power of the devil, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Kind of a strange reference. Who do your sons cast them out? If you rewind in the Gospel of Luke, you remember that story where Jesus empowers his disciples and sends them out, and these disciples go out, perform miracles, they cast out demons. I think it's a reference to this. And he's referring to them as your sons because while you may be Jewish fathers, your Jewish children are actually disciples now of Jesus. So if I cast out power, I'm speaking on Jesus' behalf, if Jesus casts out power, cast out demons by the power of the devil, you're saying these other guys are casting out demons by the power of the devil as well? You're, that makes no sense, right? This is what Jesus keeps setting before them. Therefore, they will be your judges because the sons have it right. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons and the kingdom of God has come upon you. Uh, the audience he's speaking with, remember the, the religious elite, the religious rulers, the, uh, the uber-religious folks, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, that's likely the people he's addressing. That's what we'll look at next week. Jesus really has issue with these super-religious folks. And that's likely who he's talking to. And these super-religious folks would have a really good understanding of the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll see a few references to this finger of God. Remember the story of Moses and the Egyptians, how Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt? God shows up to Moses in a burning bush and says, you're going to deliver my people. You're going to go over there and say, let my people go. Moses says, what if they don't? Well, then do these signs. They'll believe you. Moses goes over, does a sign. The Egyptian magicians, they do the same sign. They replicate the same sign twice until they perform a miracle the Egyptians can't perform. And their response is, Moses does these things by the power of the finger of God. The power of God is upon him. This one's different. This is what Jesus is saying, just like that one's, I am different. You look at the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are written in stone by the finger of God. Or you see other interactions, the finger of God writing on a wall. All of them are a reference to the power of God. So Jesus is saying, you say I do this by demons. If I do this by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come. There's a new kingdom breaking through. It's a kingdom that's more powerful. It's a kingdom that will overcome the power of the devil. It's a kingdom that will overcome the kingdom of the devil. And while the kingdom of Satan is powerful, the kingdom of God is stronger. He wins. We know the end of the story. Revelation 20, where does Satan end up? Cast into a lake of fire for all eternity. He loses. The kingdom of God has come. Satan is defeated. 
and he will ultimately be defeated once more. This is the point that Jesus is making. And then he gives a description, a little bit of a parable, if you will, in verse 21. When a strong man, this is a reference to the devil, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. In other words, Satan, you've had your time, you've been guarding your kingdom, you thought your goods were safe. You thought your kingdom and all your people were the most powerful in the land. But when one stronger, this is Jesus, this is a new kingdom, when one stronger then attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. King, the devil, you've, you've had your time. You've had your kingdom, but your reign has come to an end. There's a stronger kingdom and a stronger king, and he will destroy you. This is the point Jesus is making. And then in verse 23, he really makes this uh, exclusive statement of if you're not with me, then you're against me. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In other words, Jesus either is who he says he is, and you are for him, or you are against him. John chapter 14, verse six, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It's a line in the sand. There's no wiggle room and there's no neutrality. We aren't able to say he was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. Jesus didn't say that about himself. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either a part of his kingdom or you're of the kingdom of the devil. You either stand with him or you stand against him. There's no neutral ground here. We need to pick a side. We need to choose. We need to decide. Is he the way, the truth, and the life, or is he nothing at all? Jesus then goes on and gives a little bit of a description of these demons, and I think it's a little bit of demonology. That's like a theology word for the study of demons, how they work, but I think most of it is just a principle and a point that Jesus is trying to make. Verse 24, he speaks of this demon. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places. Your translation might say arid places. This was a cultural reference to this like really nasty desert. Nothing could live out there. And culturally, they believed that when a demon was cast out of a person, they would go wander these arid, desolate, waterless places. It passes through these arid places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What's the point that Jesus is making? The point is the kingdom of the devil is real. Demons are real. And they are incredibly destructive. You also cannot just clean up your act and think you're okay. You can't just clean things up and expect that things are going to be better. Think of it like this. Let's say you own some real estate. Maybe you do. Maybe you have renters. Maybe you have terrible renters. And you can't wait to cast the renters out of your home because they're destructive. They ruin everything. You get rid of your renters. You clean everything up. But don't pay attention to what moves in next. It's likely to happen again, and it's likely to actually be worse. So what's Jesus saying? Demon leaves. If you don't bring in a, a new spirit, if you don't bring in a new tenant, if you don't bring in a new person to live in that home, if you don't bring in the person of Jesus Christ, it's gonna be worse than before. 
This is what the scriptures teach. When we give our life to Christ, we place our faith, our hope, and trust in what he did for us on the cross, what he accomplished when he rose from the dead, defeating death. When we place our faith, our hope in Christ, Ephesians chapter one says that we, when we heard the good news of our salvation, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We become God's abode. We become his dwelling place. And when God has moved in, nothing else can. You can't just clean up your act and try harder and do better. And you've still got a wide open door for the devil to come in. And when you give your life to Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think you can be possessed by a demon. You still may be attacked, still may be accused, still may have a really hard time. But the Spirit of God is within you because the kingdom of God overcomes the power of the devil. The kingdom of God overcomes the power of Satan. That's the first point he makes against these accusers. You do this by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, you know that doesn't make any sense, right? I'll give you credit. The devil is strong, but Jesus is way stronger. The son of man who comes with a reign and rule that will never end is way more powerful. His kingdom is way more powerful than that of the devil. The power of the devil is still nothing to be messed with. Then you get to verse 27. In the middle of Jesus' response, in the middle of Jesus' speech, a lady pipes up. She's, she's like, you know, this is a perfect time for my voice to be heard in this whole thing. So she chimes in with her contributions to the discussion, which are a little weird, and they're a little out there, and it's a compliment that you and I would never share with anyone just because it's weird. But culturally, this is something they would say, and it's in the Bible, so I'm going to read it. Verse 17 says this. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. That's weird. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, we see how it's a compliment, but we're kind of like, <laughs> don't say that to my mom. All right? It's, it's weird. This is their way culturally of saying something like, your mom must be so proud of you. Man, your parents must be so proud. They must be so blessed because of the work that you're doing. Maybe you as a parent, you've heard that before, right? Maybe as a child, you've heard someone say that about you. Your parents must be so proud. Here's the, the point that Jesus is gonna make. The blessings of God are available to everyone. The blessings of God are available to everyone who would obey him not just his family, not just his friends, those who would obey are also blessed. This is what he says next in verse 28. He says, but he said, blessed rather, now this word rather, if you look at it, it's not no. My parents are not blessed. It's not no. My mom's not proud of me. This word is actually yes and your mother must be so proud she must be so blessed. You look at Luke chapter one, the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise. What does she say? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Jesus says, yeah, yes, she is blessed. And blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You want real blessing? It doesn't just come from being affiliated with Jesus. You want real blessing. It doesn't just uh, come from, you know, getting close to those who are close to Jesus. You want a real blessing of God, a real blessing of Jesus. It's hearing what he says, 
and doing it. Hearing what he says and trusting it. That's why you hear me say all the time, hey, if you don't have a Bible, go to Info Central. We want to give you a Bible. And then what do we say? Read it, believe it, do what it says, and I promise you, your life will be changed forever. Because there's blessing that comes from living life the way God has designed us to live our life. Now, we know that, but all too often, and I'm guilty of this too, we come to church. I'm here. We hear the word of God, and then we go home. No intention to do it. No intention to live by it. No intention to obey it. Just here for that girl. We're here to make our mom happy. Who knows what it is? My pastor tells me to read my Bible every morning. So I wake up, I read my Bible, and then I just live my life. Okay, but blessed are those who not just hear it. Yeah, hear it. I ain't down on church. I'm, I'm big on church, trust me. But we hear the word of God, we let it sink in, and then we obey the word of God. And our lives are transformed. That's how we find blessing of God, through obedience, through living the life that God has called us to live. There's a fourth fourth principle fleshed out uh, in the text beginning in verse 29, and that's this. The grace of God is given to all who would repent. The grace of God is given to everyone who would repent. That's what's really fleshed out in 29 through 36. Jesus turns his eyes now and turns his uh, focus and he starts dealing with these sign seekers. That first group, you're doing this by the power of the devil. And he says, no, that makes no sense. The second group says, we want more signs. That's where he goes next. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, a physical miracle that they could see, but no sign like they want will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, what we've got to work through is what's the sign of Jonah? As New Testament believers on this side of the resurrection of Jesus, we tend to go immediately to what? Okay, Jonah in the fish, three days. Jesus in the belly of the earth, three days. Now, maybe, I think on this side, it's okay for us to look back and say, that's definitely a sign, that's definitely a miracle, and something you can't refute. Someone's dead for three days and they come back to life. You better listen to them. That's definitely a sign, but I think more specifically this refers to the preaching of Jonah, the message of Jonah, this preaching of judgment and repentance. That's what Jesus says at the end, repented at the preaching of Jonah. That's the sign. Just like Jonah had a message he was preaching, Jesus had a message that he was preaching. He gives us two illustrations, Solomon from the Old Testament and Jonah from the Old Testament. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's the sign he's talking about? It's a preaching, it's a message, it's wisdom and judgment. See, Solomon in the Old Testament, maybe you're familiar with Solomon. God says, Solomon, I'll give you one thing. Anything you ask, it's yours. Solomon didn't ask for riches, wealth, power, privilege. He asked for wisdom. So God gave him wisdom. 
and everything else he didn't ask for. The queen of the south, it's this queen of Sheba, Old Testament, it's a story. She goes because she's seeking wisdom. She wants to know, what does this God have to say about my life? So she consults with Solomon, listens to Solomon, applies that knowledge, hears and obeys, and she's blessed. You look at Jonah and the Ninevites. Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah is a Jewish prophet, not to the Israelites. He's a prophet to the people of Nineveh, which was new. God sent prophets to speak to his people. Now we have God sending a prophet to speak to a group of people who aren't his people, the Ninevites. The Jews hated the Ninevites, so God says, Jonah, go over there. Jonah says, nah, that ain't it, I ain't going. Tries to run and hide, ends up in the belly of a fish, ultimately gets barfed out on a beach in Nineveh. You're gonna preach to the Ninevites, fine, I'll do it. So he musters up all of the eloquence he possibly can and he tries to remember everything he was taught in all of his little preaching classes that he attended to give the best sermon ever. And this was his sermon, smelling like a dead fish, walked through Nineveh once and said, repent or the city's overthrown in 40 days. That was his whole message. And everyone repented. People who were not God's people repented. He preached a message of judgment and a message of repentance, and they did it, and their lives were spared. So what's the sign of Jonah? What's the sign of Solomon? Jonah had a message of repentance. Solomon had a message of repentance. And Jesus is saying, I come bearing a sign. It's a message of judgment and repentance as well. And by the way, Jonah, great guy, I'm better than him. Solomon, great guy, I'm better than him. If you want a sign, here's your sign. Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. That's the message, that's the sign of Jesus and it's available to everyone. He goes on, verse 33, Jesus speaking of himself being this lamp that's been lit. Verse 33, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus, the light of the world has come and he's been lifted up for all to see. It's no secret. God's not hiding it. It's the light of the world that can shine into the hearts of everyone. Now he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Think of it like your focus. Think of it like your vision. Where you direct your attention, the result is what ends up coming into your life. When your eye is healthy, filled with light, your whole body is full of light. It's full of good. It's full of righteousness. It's full of holiness. But when it's bad, when your eye is fixated on evil things, when it's fixated on darkness, your body is full of darkness, which is evil. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. In other words, be careful to fix your eyes on the light lest the things that you think are good about you are actually nothing but evil. Man, by the world standards, tons of good people out there, right? Right, Daryl, good guy. Apart from Christ, not a good guy. That's just the truth. Would you agree, Daryl? He's one of our elders. But that's the truth. Good guy. Whoa, 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 whoa. On our best day apart from Christ, we're nothing but utter evil. No one is righteous. No, not no. No, not one. No one's good. No one seeks God. Evil. So he says, hey, be careful because you may think you're good, but apart from Christ, the good things you offer are nothing but evil. Everyone falls short. 
Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, the sweetest, nicest Christian person you know apart from Christ, not good. So he tells us, be careful and fix your eyes. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays give you light. This is his way of saying your eye is like a funnel. Your eye brings in what you're supposed to see or not to see, and what you bring in ends up in your heart. Now, oftentimes, we'd say, no, don't look directly into the light. Have you ever been inside on like a bright summer day, and then you go outside to, to let your dog out or something, and for the first 10 seconds, you're like, you, it's just so bright you can't see anything? Right? So no, don't, you, you got to adjust. Don't look directly into the light. Or if you go camping, anyone been camping before? Come on, right? No one's camped before in their entire life. What is this? On a real dark night, it takes some time for your eyes to adjust. The worst thing possible is to look into the light because your vision's gone. Go ahead and cue, cue the campsite. Let's get it nice and dark in here. Bring it way down. Bring it way down. See, eventually, our eyes may adjust and things are good. And then some dingling walks into camp wearing their headlight. <laughs> and night vision is gone. Right? The worst thing you could do is look directly into the light because you can't see anything. You can't even see up me up here right now. This is great. See, but with Jesus, the light of the world, we live in a dark place. The light of the world has come. And the instruction is look into the light. He is the lamp. He is the light of the world. You want to see clearly for the first time. You don't ignore the light. You stare at the light. And just like he says the eye is a lamp, the eye is like a funnel to the body. Many of us, with our vision, this is how we treat things. Instead of having this laser-focused lamp that we're supposed to have where we fix our eyes on Jesus, we go through life like this saying, no, if I just look around, I'll catch a little bit of Jesus. I want intimacy with God, but my vision is just going to be like funnel vision, not tunnel vision, where it's fixated completely on Jesus. I apologize to the person I just blinded on accident. <laughs> See, this is what Jesus wants from us. Jesus wants focus. Jesus wants vision. He wants us to fix our eyes on him completely so that we can see life and see everything for what it really is. Focus. Vision, fixed eyes on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on the light of the world, the light of the world comes into our hearts. We're full of light so that you and I can also be the light of the world, just as Jesus has said. All right, let's bring the sun back out. Can we get some light back in here? People are starting to get uncomfortable. Here's what I want to do. We've looked at the last four things we see in our text. I want to offer you three applications having to do with this look into the light, look to Jesus concept. The first thing we saw, there's a kingdom of God and a kingdom of the devil, and the kingdom of God overcomes the kingdom of the devil. Friends, here's the truth of the matter. We are at war, a spiritual war. Jesus wins. So where's our focus? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. 
We recognize the people around me, the flesh and blood around me. This is what Ephesians chapter six says. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, powers, principalities, darkness, and the heavenly places. Our battle is against the devil. First John chapter three says, the son of God has come to overcome the works of the devil. He came to kick his butt. And that's what he's done. So as we encounter trials, as we encounter battles, as we encounter conflict, we realize there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't see and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the light of the world. When we fix our eyes on the light of the world, we actually see things clearly for what they really are. No, it's not don't look into the light. You stare into the light and you see clearly for the first time. There's a real war going on. Second thing that we see in our text is there's true blessing available. True blessing available to everyone. So what do we do? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. The queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, Gentile woman, not one of God's chosen people, not an Israelite. Kingdom of God broke through. It's available to everyone. The Ninevites, not a Jewish nation, Gentile nation, yet God went after them. The apostle Paul was what? A missionary to who? The Gentiles. Luke chapter two, Jesus presented in a temple to a man named Simeon, and Simeon says, Jesus is going to be a light to the Gentiles, to everyone. And maybe you're here thinking like, yeah, that ain't for me though. Yes, but it is. No, I don't know, man. I'm, I, I need to clean up my act first. It's not about that. Don't just clean up your act. Look to Jesus and live. Repent of your sins. Come to Christ and find the newness of life that he offers us. True blessing is available to everyone. You're here this morning, man, I feel really far from God. God is not far from you. He's here in this place right now and wants you to repent and come to him. True blessing is available to everyone. Third thing is this, the heart is filled by what the eyes are fixated on. Where we fix our eyes ultimately is what makes its way into our heart, which ends up in our life. Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. What's inside, it comes out. That's why when you cuss somebody out, or you hurt their feelings, or say things, and then you say, hey, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean what I said. Yeah, but you did. Because that's what's inside of you. I didn't mean to hit my sister in the face. I, that's hard to have that be an accident, dude. You did mean it. That's what's inside of you. How do we figure out what's inside of us? We can either have this funnel vision where it all comes in and we just sort through it the best we can or we tunnel vision on the light of the world. So the light of the world, Jesus Christ, we stare into the light. His light fills our heart and then we become the light of the world and the good, the holy, the righteous that we're putting inside makes its way outside. That's the way this works. We fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Now, I'm not sure what that means for you. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? We've been talking about it the last 
couple weeks. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We have intimacy with God. We get in the word, right? We get in the word so the word can get into us, so we can listen and obey, so we can hear and obey. We pray. We talk to God. Praise him for who he is. We repent of our sins. We bring our requests, our needs before him. We yield to him and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. We yield to him. But if we check those boxes by 7.30 in the morning, like what do we do for the rest of the 12 hours of our day? We've got to find ways to continue fixing our eyes on Jesus, little reminders, things to keep on looking for in him. Let me give you an example of how I do it. This doesn't have to be your thing, but this is my thing. Every day at two o'clock, I get a notification on my phone. Every day. If it's in my pocket, I feel it. Don't even have to look at it. I just assume that's two o'clock. Here's what happens at two o'clock. On my phone, I get a notification. A verse from Psalm 139 comes up. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's an opportunity for me to stop and look to Jesus and say, God, search me and know me. He does know me. It's my way of saying, God, would I see me the way you see me? Would you help me understand who I really am? That I would know me in your eyes. Search me and know me. See if there's anything, anything anxious. If there's something anxious in me, God, I want to give that to you. I give that over to you. I know you're in control of everything. You're going to work it all for my good, ultimately for your glory. See if there's any grievous way within me. It's an opportunity for me to confess, an opportunity for me to repent, for me to just ask God, God, if there's a blind spot, there's something that I need exposed in my life, would you show me? And lead me in the way everlasting. Point me to the light. Help me fix my eyes on Jesus. Stare into, look into the light that I may see things clearly. That I know you, that I love you, that I have intimacy with you. And that I respond in a way where just as your son Jesus is the light of the world, so too I could be a little miniature light of the world to the people around me. That's what it looks like for me. Not sure how you can do it. Not sure if it's a sticky note a notification, a text from a friend, an accountability group, whatever it might be. But whatever you walk through this week, if you're walking through a struggle, you're walking through a battle, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You're trying to do things your own way, your own will, getting the same results every single time. Maybe it's time to stop and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Hear his voice and obey him. Realize you're in a world filled with darkness and darkness is starting to make its way. Would you repent, look to Jesus and continue walking in the way that God's called us to live? Let's pray and then we'll go to the Lord and worship again. Father, we come before you once more with just gratitude and humility. God, those words have just filled my prayer life this last week, gratitude and humility grateful to be called a child of God and humbled by who my Heavenly Father is. God, would we continue to look to you? Would we continue to ask you to be the foundation of our life? The thing we run to in, in, in times of trial, the thing, the, the thing we run to, the person we run to, the one we run to when we encounter hardships and confusion and anxiety and sin, Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the light of the world, to expose the darkness in our hearts that we might repent, that we confess, 
and be filled with the light of the world so we can go be your representative, your ambassador, your light into the places you've called us to live. Father, we, we, we praise you. Everything we do, everything we sing, everything we say, everything we think is for your glory and your glory alone. God, would you now continue to refine our hearts as we continue on to worship you. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here in the power of Christ we stand. Would we fix our eyes on Jesus? Would we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith? Friends, I don't know where you're at in your faith this morning. Uh, Maybe this morning you want to stop trying to do the things you've always done. Uh, Maybe you're done trying to clean up your act and you'd like to give your life to Jesus and allow him to sanctify you, allow him to purify you, allow him to wash you clean and give you newness of life. If that's your desire, I mean, that's our desire for you this morning as well. We've got a team of people back by that sign that says, follow Jesus. They would love to pray with you. Um, They'd love to help you or walk alongside of you as you profess faith in Christ, as you express that trust and belief in Christ. They'd also like to just help you, point point you on your way, help you take your next steps in walking with Jesus and help you see what it means to fix your eyes to Jesus, to look to Jesus. For the rest of us, would we not go through life with just funnel vision, taking it all in? Would we go through life with a tunnel vision that fixes our eyes on Jesus? Would we stare directly into the light so he comes into our heart, illuminates the darkness, and helps us walk the way that he would have us walk? Would he fill our hearts with light so that you and I can go into the places that Christ has sent us so we can be the light of the world as well? And we love you guys. Would you love each other? Live on mission this week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.